Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You should give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Kathleen Pasadomo. Kathleen is our uh, state Senate President. We'll visit to her about uh, the upcoming November 6th special session and other things that are going on around the state of Florida. Boom Mortensen will be joining us. Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and Jack Timon, former president of Westinghouse International <clears throat> and author. We'll talk about his new book and the process of writing uh, with Jack Timon. It is October the 31st. Happy, uh, happy Halloween. And on this day in 1517, legend has it that the priest and scholar Martin Luther uh, approached the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, and nailed a piece of paper to it containing the 95 revolutionary opinions that would begin the Protestant Reformation. In his thesis, uh, Luther condemned the excesses and corruption of the Roman Catholic Church, especially the papal practice of asking payments called indulgences for the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> At the time, Dominican priest named Johann uh, Tetzel, commissioned by the Archbishop of Mainz and uh, Pope Leo X, was in the midst of a major fundraising campaign in Germany to finance the renovation of St. Peter's uh, Basilica in Rome. Though Prince Frederick III, the wise, had uh, banned the sale of indulgences in Wittenberg, many church members re uh, traveled to purchase them. When they returned, they showed the pardons and that had bought uh, to Luther, claiming they had no longer had to repent for their sins. Luther's frustration with this practice led him to write the 95 Theses, which were quickly snapped up and translated from Latin into German and distributed widely. A copy made its way to Rome, and efforts began to convince Luther to change his tune. He refused to keep silent, however, and in 1521, Pope Leo X formally excommunicated Luther from the Catholic Church. That same year, Luther again refused to recant his writings before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V of Germany, who issued the famous Edict of Worms, or Worms, I guess it's pronounced, declaring Luther an outlaw and a heretic and giving permission for anyone to kill him without consequence. Protected by King uh, Prince Frederick, Luther began working on a German translation of the Bible, a task that took 10 years to complete. The term Protestant first appeared in 1529, when Charles V revoked a provision that allowed the ruler of each German state to choose whether they would enforce the Edict of Worms, a number of princes and other supporters of Luther issued a protest declaring that their allegiance to God trumped their allegiance to the emperor. They became known to opponents as Protestants. Gradually, this name came to apply to all who believed the church should be reformed, even those outside Germany. By the time Luther died of natural causes in 1546, his revolutionary beliefs had formed the basis for the Protestant Reformation, which over the next three centuries revolutionized Western civilization. I think it was probably also the beginning of the separation of church and state. <clears throat> Important concept. I talked to a very devoted Catholic who says that Luther also committed heinous crimes against the Bible and eliminating certain Bibles, probably the, Apoc uh, the Apocrypha, 
I'm not exactly sure about that. But nevertheless, uh, Luther certainly made his mark in civilization. So are you spooked with a high price of Halloween candy? Well, that's not much. there's not much in relief in sight. For the second year in a row, U.S. shoppers are seeing double-digit inflation in the candy aisle. Candy and gum prices are up an average of 13% this month compared to last October, more than double the 6% increase in all grocery prices, according to Retail Price Tracker. That's on top of the 14% increase in candy and gum prices in October 2022. Again, more evidence of the failure of Bidenomics, hitting people where it really counts, and that's in the wallet. Well, Wall Street rallied Monday, kicking off what promises to be a hectic week that includes a heavy earnings docket, economic data, and Federal Reserve's two-day monetary policy meeting. Uh, all three major stock indexes closed up more than 1%, bouncing back from the previous week's sell-off. Interesting-sensitive uh, mega-cap stocks provided the most upside, upside muscle. Third-quarter earnings season firing on all cylinders has reached its halfway point, with 251 of the companies in the S&P 500 having reported. Of those, 78% of beat Wall Street estimates. And just this morning, I'm seeing a few more, like... Uh, uh, Caterpillar uh, also beating estimates. So looks like it's a good day for the market today as well. Very good news on the economy. The GDP grew by a robust 4.9%. That's a long way from the recession. Many economists were predicting at the start of the year. The bad news is that a lot of the growth is being driven by runaway government spending and debt. Government spending is growing, uh, growing faster than consumer spending and has been for five quarters in a row now. It's the fastest growing part of the entire economy. In the last year, the government accounted for 26% of GDP growth, $166 billion of the $640 billion increase. Meanwhile, the monthly jobs report since the start of the year shows government employers adding more jobs than any private sector industry. The economy is growing, but mostly in the wrong places, certainly. Uh, again, that's going to just contribute to, I think, a bad news in the coming future. <clears throat> I want to remind you that uh, Southwest Florida Solidarity with Israel, the uh, flag and sign waving rally is being held Wednesday, November the 1st. Uh, that's tomorrow at 4 to 5.30 p.m. The location is the Pine Ridge Road intersection with all with airport pulling road, all four corners, but there's going to be flag waving. You can bring a flag, wave a flag, U.S. and Israel flags only. Make your own signs. Spread the word of support. Honk your horn. This is not a political rally. The purpose of this peaceful flag and sign waving rally is for the Southwest Florida community at large to promote a sense of shared purpose and solidarity with Israel. Stand with Israel. Uh, is, uh, you can also support Israel through the uh, Jewish Federation of Greater Naples. Uh, it's, this is going to be quite an event. And I'm certainly looking forward to at least driving down the road and, and honking my horn in support of Israel. Tomorrow, again, that's uh, Pine Ridge and uh, Airport Pulling Road, all four corners, 4 to 5.30 p.m. Well, leaders of the Republican-led House uh, released a measure uh, Monday that calls for paying for the $14.3 billion in Israel aid by cutting in an equal amount of allocated to the agency under the President Biden's signature Inflation Reduction Act. The IRS has uh, been a target for conservatives, including those who say the $80 billion for the agency is an inact will go toward 87,000 new auditors. 
We're not just going to print money and send it overseas, House Speaker Mike Johnson said. In addition, they unveiled intentions to introduce legislation aimed at addressing Iranian oil sales, which include the reinstatement of previous sanctions, according to one of the sources. The vote for the bill is scheduled for this coming Thursday. Boy, Mike Rogers is off and running and doing a great job as Speaker of the House. He said uh, Biden is engaged in ongoing cover-up and has lied repeatedly about his involvement and knowledge of Hunter Biden's business dealings, while declaring the impeachment inquiry against him will continue methodically and without a predetermined outcome. Of course, he's from Louisiana, Republican, was elected Speaker of the House this week. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy launched an impeachment inquiry against Biden in September. We're having an ongoing cover-up of the important facts as Joseph Biden is sitting in the Oval Office, Johnson said. We know that he stared right in the camera at the pre- as the president lied repeatedly, and I mean multiple times. He lied directly multiple times about his involvement and knowledge of his son's business dealings. We all know that now. And uh, again, he's serious about proceeding uh, with due haste and methodically, but with fairness, to the impeachment of uh, Joseph Biden. While under legal pressure, the National Archives has located 82,000 pages of emails that President Joe Biden sent or received during his vice presidential tenure on three private pseudonym accounts, a total that potentially dwarfs the amount that landed Hillary Clinton in hot water a decade ago. Uh, The total of Biden's private email exchanges was disclosed Monday in a little-notice status report filed in a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit brought against the National Archives and Records Administration by the nonprofit public interest law firm, the Southeastern Legal Foundation. The foundation brought the uh, lawsuit seeking access to the emails just after the Just the News revealed a, a year ago that Biden had used three pseudonym emails, robinware456gmail.com, if you want to write them, <laughs> jrbware, uh, at gmail.com and Robert L. Peters, Robert.L.Peters at PCI.gov. During the time he served as president, Barack Obama's vice president, uh, he used these emails uh, 82,000 times. The status report filed Monday in a federal court in Atlanta was the first to provide an estimate of the size and scope of the possible government business conducted through Joe Biden's private email accounts. <clears throat> The court filing added that the foundation and NARA are discussing ways to narrow the request for records to get copies of the emails in a more expeditious manner. Government officials' uh, use of private emails for official business is discouraged under law. I, think, I know Barack, Barack Obama had a separate, he kept a cell phone too. And officials like Biden are required to preserve all government-related emails conducted on their private accounts uh, during the federal, according to the Federal Records Act, the fact that NARA has such a n- large collection suggests Biden gave those emails to the nation's history-preserving agency. To date, there's no indication for the National Archives in the court case that any of Biden's emails contain classified information. However, the president is under criminal investigation by Special Counsel Robert Herr for taking classified documents from his time as vice president and as senator and storing them improperly in insecure locations like his garage in Delaware and next to his uh, Corvette and all that nonsense. So uh, that investigation apparently is ongoing. 
Well, Representative, uh, I should say Republican Senator Josh Hawley accused the administration of facilitating the largest child trafficking ring in American history, exposing how masses of unaccompanied alien children are being sold in sex slavery after they are released in the country. Josh Hawley grilled Robin Dunn Marcos, the director of the Office of Refugee Resettlement, noting how Child trafficking has skyrocketed under Joe Biden. This comes amid reports that the Department of Health and Human Services lost contact with at least 85,000 children after they were released to quote-unquote adult sponsors. How many kids right now of the 430,000 approximately unaccompanied children who have crossed the border under this administration? It's an astounding number. How many are you in regular contact with right now, Holly asked the official. Marcus initially tried to skirt the question before saying, I don't have the specific number, he said. How can you not know, Holly, Holly asked, uh, seeming astounded. Why would you come to this hearing and not know that? I would like you to not facilitate the largest child trafficking ring in American history, Holly said. Marcus failed to explain how many uh, background checks are conducted on so-called adult sponsors. Do you do home visits in these cases where you can actually see where the ch- these children are and have been released and uh, are, whose care you're putting them in, Hallie asked. Marcus responded, we do not do home visits in all cases, and probably not in any cases. Do you really think you're helping these children by releasing them to labor traffickers and, yes, sex traffickers? Hallie further noted. During the results of the rest of the hearing, it became apparent that Biden's officials are clueless about missing migrant children and child trafficking epidemic previously brought to light by Josh Hawley. In September, Donald Trump vowed to reinstate Title 42 and end child trafficking if he's elected president in 2024. Just uh, absolutely criminal what's going on right now, right in front of our noses, and nothing's being done about it. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senate president. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Mm-hmm. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Mortensen. Right now we have with us uh, Kathleen Pasadena. Uh, Kathleen is our state Senate president. Kathleen, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning. Good morning. I mean, the big news right now, of course, is all the protests that are going on with regard to Hamas and uh, Palestinian territory and uh, Israel. Uh, what's conspicuously absent, in my opinion, is uh, the, the, are these things don't seem to be happening in Florida. Can you comment at all? I, I think, um, yes. When you look at, in my understanding, that when you look at the population of Jewish people in this country, uh, Florida has by far the most. Yeah. And so there's, um, you know, an, an appreciation, understanding, and concern for our Jewish brothers and sisters. Um, the uh, legislature is taking the lead next week. We're doing a special session uh, to address uh, not only the um, the Adalia hurricane, but uh, the proclamation that the speaker and I uh, did the week before last. We're actually codifying that into a proclamation to the United States government. And we're also including additional sanctions against Iranian, against companies doing business with Iran. So, you know, that's something that's important to us, and, and we're pursuing it. Absolutely. And I just want to remind our listeners, uh, again, that uh, there's going to be a rally in support of Israel uh, at the corner of uh, Airport Pulling and Pine Ridge Roads. Uh, all four corners. Uh, that's going to be tomorrow night from uh, 4 to 5.30. So, uh Honk your horn, even if you don't bring a flag and, <laughs> and provide support. So uh, can you comment any further about what's happening on November 6th? Anything uh, that uh, special session that you want to accomplish? Yeah. So um, as, as I indicated, we are going to address the um, Israeli issue, uh, Iran. Uh, in addition to that, we, we are the Adalia um, you know, a lot of people who live down here don't uh, realize the devastation that Idalia caused to the Big Bend, Florida's panhandle, and uh, many of the farms from poultry to timber uh, were devastated and, huh. and actually totally destroyed. And many of those 
we call them crops, even though chickens are, I guess they're considered a crop. Um, they're not, they were not insurable. Huh. Uh, so that's a huge problem, and these people have nothing. So we, just like we did with Ian, we're going to be doing some um, loans uh, to local governments, some grants to some of these farmers, some loans, as we did, uh, what we did in, in Ian, we're trying to replicate in the diet. You know, it's not, it's not as much money per se, because, you know, Ian was billions, but uh, you know, for for the livelihood of these people, it you know it, this is what they do, and they're out of business. And what they do is certainly important to our economy. So uh, I certainly support that. So uh, a while ago, you and I spoke about the septic system problem in the middle of the state. In a lot of homes, uh, housing stock was built with septic systems, and of course. Uh, uh, they're now creating some problems. I was wondering if you could comment. Any kind of progress on that? Yeah, we've undertaken um, a almost a patchwork of uh, funding initiatives for septic to sewer throughout the state, mm. uh, even including Naples. Uh, the the uh, uh, between believe it or not, between Airport Road and US forty one, uh, that's I mean between Goodland and US forty one, there's a swath of properties that are all on septic. Really, um, too close to the to water bodies. Right. Um, over the years, many of these septic systems have started to leach into um, our our waters, and you know, for years we have just solely blamed farmers for some of the algae blooms. But as it turns out, a, a big culprit is us those who have septic systems. Um, I even heard anecdotally a woman who had a septic system. She didn't know she had a septic system, never pumped it out, lived there for 20 years. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, so these these are the the – so we we have to convert. Um, We have to build sewer uh, plants that are sustainable. And the other thing that's a a real problem – is some of our local governments who are collecting um, fees for you know the sewer systems are putting those fees into their general fund and not maintaining the system, and then they they uh, breach and and are calling the legislature to give them a new septic system. It's it's just terrible. So we're we're starting to take a, a very serious look at it and holding everybody accountable. Uh, well, thank you for that update. Uh, and I know you're uh, back in town this week, and we're moving closer and closer to the legislative session. Uh, anything planned in terms of uh, your activities as the president of the state senate? Well, I'm working on a. Uh, I think I've talked to you about this, the Live Healthy Act uh, health care initiative. Um, I'm looking at some uh, school deregulation uh, programs. There's, I, you know, there's just a myriad of bills that are popping up that we're we're addressing. We're also meeting with the governor's staff to uh, uh, see what his initiatives are, and uh, meeting with the speaker to see what uh, he would like to do. So I think we'll have a pretty uh, robust package of bills uh, when we start session in January. Outstanding. Kathleen Pasadena, again, our state Senate president. I genuinely appreciate your time here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, and have a great day. You as well, Kathleen. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Boo Mortensen. It's time to find out what's new with Boo, that and more, right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network.
Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jack Time and former president of Westinghouse International. Right now, we have with us Boo Mortensen. It's time to find out what's new with Boo. Boo's a former radio personality in Madison, Wisconsin. Boo, thank you so much for joining us. Well, it's my pleasure, and I thought what I would do is not talk about topical current events because it's so overwhelming. Yeah. So I thought I would pick something that's fairly obscure. And how many shipwrecks? do you think there are in the ocean? Wow. Since the beginning of time, (laughs) there's a lot. I have no idea, Boo, though. I bet you know. Well, uh, according to this article, there are over 3 million shipwrecks. Yeah. Now, we know about the Titanic, but, you know, mankind has been building boats for at least 10,000 years. Yeah. So a lot of boats crossing the water, and... There is, and, and the ocean can, they say, an estimated average depth is of more than 12,000 feet. That's the average depth. And only 19% of the ocean floor has been charted. Only 19%. Yeah. It's, you know, what, more time in the moon. We, we know more about outer space than we know about our own surroundings here in the, in, in, on the globe. I mean, that end of the earth is like three quarters or four fifths water. And uh, we don't know a lot about it. No, we don't. But they figure the estimated value of treasure on these sunken ships has got to be worth $60 billion. Wow. 
Well, see, it's the oldest intact shipwreck discovered in the Black Sea is 2,400 years old. Wow. Well, you know, Boo, uh, yesterday was the anniversary of uh, the uh, Andrea Gale went down in this huge storm, the perfect storm. Uh, yes. Back in, I forgot what year it was. It was 91 or 92. But the point being is he had 100-foot waves, if you can imagine. Now, this is a 70-foot boat. 70-foot, that's a lot of, that's a big boat. And just totally disappeared, just wiped out as a consequence of that perfect storm back in the day. But you can imagine, I mean, if you've seen replicas of the, uh, uh, for example, the Nina, the Santa Maria, the ships that came across the sea with under Columbus, they're right. little tiny things. I mean, my goodness, how did they survive the trip? I have no idea. I yeah, isn't it something? And they were all wooden, and and uh, <clears throat> you know they don't have they didn't have sonar back there, and they had nothing. This was another thing I did not know. How many shipwrecks do you think there are in the Great Lakes? God, they're dropping like flies. Are you kidding? Well, I have no idea. Six thousand. Six thousand. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's huge. And uh, so they're, they're just sitting down there, sunken ships with uh, probably some treasure and some purported things that could be re uh, recovered. So uh, It must be very difficult to, you know, especially if you've got a boat that's like, say, 22,000 uh, feet deep, like the, like the Titanic is, what, 21,000, 20,000 feet. It's hard to recover anything from those depths. Yeah. Remember, there was that scuba diving, or that, that sonar, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, it went down and then it blew apart, and they, they, remember this just happened a year ago. And this is a little submarine, as I recall. Submarine, yes, yes. And uh, the, uh, you know, to me, the fact that I immediately popped in my mind when you said that is that they had like a joystick as a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. operate the machine from steering, I know <laughs> oh my gosh and of course the people died instantaneously and it was just a horrible tragedy but nevertheless there was not proper preparation and there wasn't proper materials to make sure that the thing was going to survive no but you've got the incredible pressure of going down deep into the ocean yeah. as well and you could see why there's still three million laying down at the ocean. You know, they're probably great reefs for fish and wildlife, or fish and fauna. Absolutely, Boo. Well, it's it, it is amazing that you say. Did you say you there's three million? How many ships shipwrecks? Three million. Three million. Unbelievable. Well, and it, it is it is actually very believable, especially before the all the. Uh, equipment has been developed and all the the science to uh, develop uh, safety measures for these ships because uh, you know they they would sail across you know when Columbus first got to the United States he he thought he found India <laughs> yeah. yeah isn't that something I mean those guys were intrepid yeah tremendous courage. I just can't. Oh, yeah. When you think about what they did and the environment and how primitive it was. Yeah. And they took off and did it over and over again. And then you fast forward to today. I look out at the ocean and you think only 19% of the ocean has been charted. Yeah. That's not much. Well, you know, we have a dead zone in uh, the Gulf of Mexico. 
and uh, don't know what to attribute it to. It's probably a runoff from uh, fertilizer and that kind of thing, but literally where no fish, nothing can survive, and it's a pretty big area, it tends to fluctuate back and forth in terms of its size. So maybe that's a good thing. But the point is that, uh, I guess the point is we need to take better care of the environment. We need to be more careful. I mean, we're putting all this plastic in the ocean. We've got barges of plastic out there floating around. And uh, we need to take better care of our environment. I agree. We're mucking it up. Yes, we are, boo. So do you have big plans for for, uh, Halloween? Halloween? Yeah, today is Halloween. Uh, no, no, um, no, I don't. I, I'm i not a Halloween kind of girl. You know, when you, you wonder, <clears throat> how did trick-or-treat even start? You know, actually, it started in Scotland, and the Catholics brought it over huh. uh, to the North America. And uh, trick-or-treat, I think they kids would sing and dance, and then they'd get candy, and so then it evolved into trick or treat. And uh, you know, kids all—I I can understand why kids love it. They love to get in the costumes. You know, it's a big deal for them. It's a big deal for my grandkids. But as an adult, do I want to get dressed up? And nah, I don't think so. If I get dressed, I'm going to go as a talk show host. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, now what would that look like? <laughs> it looked like me just sitting here right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, boo. Anyhow, it's, and it's so expensive now. Again, just I, under, I started the show by pointing out that the the cost of candy is up thirteen percent over six six uh, percent and over thirteen percent of last year. So it's, it's getting pretty darn expensive to throw out these these uh, uh, corn candy or whatever it is. Well, and all the candy bars, well, you know, the cost of, of decorating has skyrocketed. People spend as much on decorating for Halloween as they do on Christmas. Wow. Which seems hard to believe, but they do. It's a huge Halloween. Halloween is a huge holiday where families decorate. And, and uh, in fact, there is an area in Naples called Victoria Park. Of course. And, Oh, God. have you ever gone over there? Well, every year we drive through Victoria Park. It's just amazing to see how people decorate their homes. And they're extremely proud of it. Most of them are sitting outside watching the cars go by. Oh, my gosh. So you do you do it for Christmas or do you do it for Halloween? We do it for uh, Christmas. Do they, do, uh, do, they uh, do their homes for Halloween? I didn't realize that if they did. Oh, it's huge. Huge. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Absolutely. That's... And they've got people grilling out there, handing out hot dogs. And <laughs> I guess it's just, it's massive. That's pretty interesting. What a way to pull a community together. That's uh, that's really interesting, Boo. Well, I hope you be safe on Halloween. You're not going to go out tonight, I take it. No, 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 no. Stay in. Well, did you know Up that TV, apparently there's like some... like an old person. Yeah, some, some communities apparently are going to uh, uh, fine young people who teenagers who go out trick-or-treating <laughs> they're, they're going to enforce those laws but not the other ones that are so important boo i always appreciate your commentary here on the show thank you so much for joining us my pleasure all right coming up we're going to be visiting with seaton motley seaton is the founder and president of uh, less government we're going to do that and more right here on the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network Stay tuned for more of the Bob 
Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. Got some great performances coming up, and you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jack Timon, former president of Westinghouse International and author. Right now we have with us Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Seton. Tell us about Less Government. Yeah, we exist to reduce the size, scope, and sphere of influence of government, and government doesn't like that very much. <laughs> no, they don't. But uh, you wrote a column. This is scary stuff. Too big to fail banks are about to fail again. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm watching the financial sector, uh, partly because I subject myself to CNBC every morning. And it's it's amazing to watch the CNBC because, of course, their job is to prop up the the economy and the, and, the, and Wall Street in particular, and and they they keep reporting on all this evidence that things are getting worse and worse, and trying to spin it. You know, trying to pretend it's not what they're reporting it is. Yeah. And what's happening is, you know, we had. We, you know, the, the, the phrase "too big to fail" was born out of the 2008 global financial crisis, which was caused by big banks pushing loan, uh, mortgages that they shouldn't have made by the by the millions, 
and then creating mortgage-backed securities, which was originally a decent idea. Which back when everybody, when every mortgage was good, you pack, you bundle a bunch together, and then sell them. Uh, it's, it's like a, it's like a stock portfolio, but of mortgages, and you get, you you buy into it, and you get a monthly payment because who doesn't pay their mortgage? But as they, to, to in order, they, they were making such huge commissions on these mortgage-backed securities. Eventually, they ran out of good people to lend money to, and they started lending money to millions of bad people who everyone knew couldn't pay back. So that blew up the economy. Well, then, born out of that was too big to fail because these big banks were the ones doing this. The community banks were, were if they were doing it, they were, you know, they'd make a bad loan, and then a big bank would sell it, would buy it from them inside of six seconds. Mm-hmm. So the only the only way to empower that on to a degree that it could blow up the economy globally was that because big banks were do, were pushing it. So the term too big to fail was created and we were allegedly going to fix that. Well, they, first of all, they gave the total bank bailout to the big banks. Uh, a guy named John Carney, who's a really smart guy. Um, 30, 20, excuse me, $29 trillion mm. was what the big banks got from, from the federal government in total bailout money from, resulting from the 2008 crash. Um, so that's not going to make the failed big banks go away. That's going to prop them up. And then they passed Dodd-Frank, which, which is really, really heavy regulation, which, of course, big banks can afford, small banks can't. Right. So thousands of small banks have died and the big banks took the bailout money and bought the assets of the failed small banks and got bigger right so that's so so now we've got banks that are they were already 30 percent bigger in 2012 and dodd frank passed in 2010 wow so they this is this consolidation has continued to happen and continued to happen and continued to happen and now what we've got is after the covid crash um, we've got not just a bunch of people with, uh, holding mortgages that people can't pay because the economy's terrible. Um, not, not, I mean, some of them were bad loans, but some, you know, a lot of it is just a failed economy, and people can't afford to make their mortgage payments anymore. Right. You've got you've got a commercial real estate crisis, which nobody's talking about. All right. Um, because after COVID, people went, "Why am I driving an hour and a half each way to work? I could do this on the internet in my house." So you've got people holding huge debt on commercial real estate properties that they can't rent. You know, if they bought them to use, that's one thing, and they can't pay the rent. Two, if they bought it to be rental income, no one's renting from them. And, of course, they can't sell it because nobody, nobody's buying because it's commercial real estate. And so that's a huge looming debt problem that's going to happen. Plus now, U- U.S. citizens had record savings coming out of COVID um, because the Trump economy was really good and they were able to live their lives and save money. Well, they've already burned through that now and they're already setting records for personal debt in the United States. There's more than, we passed the trillion dollar credit card debt mark in March, I think, of this year. And so I I haven't looked it up, but it's obviously going to be higher than that now by a substantial amount. So these big banks are holding all this paper, and there's no sign of the economy improving to where they can start collecting. They set a record um, 
in the third quarter of the of this year uh, since before COVID on debt being written off, meaning they just gave up on trying to collect on this debt, yeah. and that was it was a, it was a record quarter. So the, it's getting to the point now where the banks hold so many so much debt that is considered bad debt, meaning they're not going to get their money back and they're not going to get paid on it, that the big banks' security is now co- being called into question and being questioned because they're holding so much of their income is predicated upon collecting on this debt and they're not getting any, they're not getting any money on it. Yeah. So it's, it's getting it's getting to that point, and 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 if the if these if these banks fail, it's going to be not just it's not going to be bad not just for the housing market like in two thousand and eight. It's going to be housing, commercial real estate, personal finance, credit card. It's going to be across multiple sectors of the economy. No question. I mean, it, in fact, uh, Biden's suggesting that we now convert. Some of, there's uh, 80% of the office space for the federal government is not being occupied right now because people are working from home. So he's suggesting that we convert it <laughs> into uh, housing for the homeless. So. Right. Yeah, because there's always a direct correlation between the office space and, ho- and living space. That's just, he's an idiot. And, and, of co- and of course, out of the 2008 law, the, I mean, 2010 Dodd-Frank law, was the Consumer Protection, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, yeah. which was allegedly the, the, the action arm of Dodd-Frank to fix too big to fail. That's what they're supposed to do. But, but the CFPB is doing exactly what the rest of Dodd-Frank does. It's killing, it's, it's actively killing what few competitors there are to yeah. the big banks. Right now they're going after payday lenders, Yeah, which is a tiny little sector of the lending industry that rose up because big banks aren't even lending to poor people anymore. So these these poor people with no credit and very little income are need money short term. They can't get a credit card, which is what a credit card is, if you're if you're not, you know, piling it up, is you you buy something and then you pay it off and it's a short term loan. That's what it is. Right. Well, these payday lenders now CFPB isn't doing anything about all the bank stuff we just discussed. Nothing. They're doing nothing. What they are doing is going after the payday lenders. Isn't that amazing? Because that's what the big banks want. The big banks want no competition. They want to be the sole providers of financial uh, products in the United States. So the, the giant CFPB, the giant federal government, is ignoring all the big bank failures that are looming before us and going after these tiny little payday lenders out of storefronts and strip malls. <laughs> Unbelievable, Seton, and it, you're just exacerbating the problem. People, you know, need some new tires. They're gonna get paid on Friday, so they'd like to get a short-term loan. They can go to the right. payday lender and and get money. And who cares if it's at fifty percent if they're only borrowing it for four days? You know? For three days or four days, right? right exactly. So, yes. unbelievable. And the, but they're <laughs> big banks owning trillions of dollars of bad debt. They're not the problem. The problem is the payday lenders. Absolutely. <laughs> Can't see Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. I encourage you to visit lessgovernment.org, lessgovernment.org. Seaton, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jack Timon. Jack is the former president of Westinghouse International. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> 
Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We've talked about uh, Lulabee's Diner is a great tr- place to have breakfast or lunch. Uh, Lulabee's Diner, their Green Tree Shopping Center, will now serving dinner Wednesdays through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m. The menu's terrific. The value is just terrific. And it's informal. Again, visit Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center for dinner. Wednesdays through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m. We have with us Jack Timon. Jack has got a storied uh, background. He's been a great friend for my, for me for years. Jack is the former president of Westinghouse International. He's also the author of, uh, well, a couple of books. His latest is called Adam and Dowland. Uh, Jack, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Jack. Uh, so tell us about Adam and Dowland. What was the initial inspiration for writing this book? Well, I actually started it almost around three decades ago. I was in my mid-40s and, um, and, and in midlife crisis, and I went away. I was chosen to go away on a writer's retreat and decided to kind of pen my memoirs and um, you know leave something for the kids about all the lessons I'd learned throughout my journey, at least to that point. Um, and I, I had, uh, as you call it, a story journey. I, at that time, I had already traveled through the world. I ultimately traveled and did business in 75 countries. And, and in the course of my, my journey, my travel through life, I met countless angels like Lucille, friends like you, family members, Mentors, now my Naples Community Church, and I, had, I, I, I was touched by so many other people. I just wanted to give back and share what I had learned. 
That's so interesting. So uh, other than uh, personal contacts, have other writers, artists, or filmmakers inspired you at all? Yeah, I, I began writing in elementary school, actually. But I, I think what, I think the first thing that hit me, well, I, I, I went to see a movie when I was young. I, I don't know, maybe six, seven years of age. The movie was a few years old, but it kept being shown over and over on the screen. It was called, you probably may have heard of it, The Wizard of Oz. And um, I mean, I just couldn't get enough of it. I went with my, saved up another quarter somehow, went to see it again. And um, I was fascinated by the fantasy and, and by the hero's journey. And then so, then I saw Alice in Wonderland. And then later on in life, you know, I, I, I got fascinated with other life lesson uh, hero's journeys like like the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit, Hobbit trilogy, Game of Thrones, Hunger Games, and 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 other books. I've always I've always been um, excited by stories like that. And then of course I've been inspired by the greatest book of all time, the Holy Bible. Absolutely. So, uh, how about your specific purpose for writing this book? Well, I'm, a purpose is even stronger than a purpose. I think writing is is a calling, a mission, and um, I've always written throughout my life, but not written novels like like this. Um, but then when I retired and had some time, um, I felt compelled to, to, again, share what I've learned. And writing became my purpose. Um, and that's that's how I started this trilogy. Uh, Adam Dowlin is the first in the trilogy, and I'm also writing a coffee table book. And um, it's also, it's my legacy, Bob. It's my way of imparting whatever wisdom I've gained along the way to help not just my family, friends, but hopefully others who might benefit from my life, my my journey, even though it's it's not a memoir and it's not a um a, a, a true um autobiography. It's more my memoir masquerading as fantasy fiction. I did that so uh it would be more of more entertaining as I as I shared lesson learns. And if I teach but one person along the way my journey my purpose will be fulfilled that's so interesting so is there someone that you wrote the book for well as i said i started sketching things for my family for my kids mainly i no they were all they were all in in school or younger than that in college or younger but then i put it on shelf for decades i kept i kept sketching and like an artist sketching and throwing things into a box. But then when I finally found the time to sit down, because writing, Bob, writing a novel, this is a 400 word, a 400 page um, novel, you know, 105,000 words. It, it takes years to write a novel like that. Yeah. So um, I was then older when I started writing, really writing three years ago. And I decided I would, of course, write for my family and friends, but the broader target were anybody who was going through life at any stage of life and they were kind of in despair over the you know condition of the world so i write for young adults that are conflicted with a desire to go out there and earn their living get their first car but they're conflicted by the problems in the world and need for what what they see as social justice and i also appeal i hope right to those in midlife crisis who they're in their 40s, mid-40s or whatever, around that age, and they say, what, I've done all this, What? what's next? And the same thing um, for those who enter retirement and say, well, what do I do now? So that's what I, who, who I write for. 
So interesting, Jack. Well, so uh, why are you the one to tell this story, and why in fiction? Well, it 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 is really, as I said, my memoir. So I'm the only one that could write possibly write that. I've had one of these uh, crazy journeys that different, and you know my journey is nothing yeah. nothing typical, right? Um, so I'm the only one that can share that story, and I wrote it in fiction because if I wrote an autobiography, um, like every other autobiography. Only people would buy it if people know me, and then they put it on the shelf. Nobody, nobody really is interested in that unless it's uh, written about Abraham Lincoln or John F. Kennedy or something like that. So, yeah. I thought by writing fantasy, fantasy fiction, I could make it entertaining, like like The Wizard of Oz, and at the same time, teach you something. That is so fascinating. Uh, actually, you're, you've done a lot of writing, Jack, I, I know, but uh, this is your debut novel. Have you done other writing during your life? I, I never stopped writing from the time I, uh, I, when I was in, um, I think it was seventh grade. I won a contest in, in New York City for best essay from my age group. I um, huh. went to see the mayor, got a metal pinned on, got in the newspapers and all, because I just love, love, love to write. Um, and then... I started my own uh, newsletters in elementary school, uh, high school, college, and I, I never I never stopped that. I kind of created my own newspapers in in, in um, uh, you know in that in that way. And you remember? And then, of course, during my career, I don't know how many executive summaries and presentations that Westinghouse called on me to write because I was a good writer. Um, I even wrote a, a play later on when I got to Harvard for the advanced management program. It was hilarious. People, was, they, they still have copies of it, videos, and, and laugh at it. Um, and then, you know, I was um, a politician for a while there with, with Kurt, uh, and I wrote speeches for the halls of Congress. Uh, but Adam, Adam, as I said, is a huge, complex book, and it's proven to be a monumental task and also the most rewarding writing I've ever accomplished in my entire life. Wow. So, again, the name of the book is Adam and Dowland, T-A-O-L-A-N-D, Adam and Dowland. Uh, and, Jack, I just uh, really appreciate I want to have you back on and talk about the writing process because, I, to me, it just seems like it's got to be so, it requires so much discipline and focus and also isolation. So uh, it be interesting talking to you about that. Again, Adam and Dowland. And, Jack, where can we get a copy of the book? Uh, you can go to adamandowland.com. That's Dowland with it, T A O L. Adamandowland.com, or go to Amazon. It's uh, it's published by Amazon KDP, and just type in Adam in T A O L A N D, and you can pick up the book. And if you pick up the book and you like it, please post a review as well. All right, Jack. Really appreciate your commentary again. Jack Time and T Y M A N N is the author. Jack, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Okay, good to be with you. Uh, thank you as well. All right, well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show as well, including Bob Levy and Andrew Joppa. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs>